want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. What is up, guys? James Gutman here on High Pod. I'm Dad. Welcome back to another Friday edition of the podcast. We are here every single Friday, all the streaming services, wherever pods are casted. You can hear my melodic tones. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is great. We are in the midst of April. It is first week of April. Just ended. And it is great to be back here. As you guys know, every single week you can find this podcast, whether you find it on the streaming services or on HiPodOmDad.com. Like, subscribe, hit the bell, hit your friends, you know, so good, make you slap your mama. All right. Uh, so do that. Hit whatever you have to hit, like whatever you have to like, and keep track of where it's at. Bookmark the page, HiPodOmDad.com, all the archives dating back for years. On top of that, twice a week, HiBlogOmDad.com. I do blogs. I've been doing it since February of 2017. There are like, I don't know, a million. So check those out. We'll talk about those today. And yeah, man, what's up? This is pass number two for the podcast. And for those of you guys who listen to this all the time, you know what I'm talking about. I record these and then I re-record these. So I actually <laughs> already done a whole show. Uh, and I was like, eh, nah. And now do another show. So that's kind of how it works. But the theme remains the same. I think what ends up happening is as the week goes, I'll record an audio early in the week. And then I'm like, uh, that's good. I'm down with that. And then a few days go by and I'm just like, I feel differently about life. Let me record this one. So that's what ended up happening this week. I did a long one. I talked about it. It was, you know, all this great stuff. Then I'm like, eh, let me go back to it and revisit it. And I think the thing that I wanted to talk about this week, which is important, and before we get into, you know, the blogs are about autism awareness, autism acceptance, whatever you want to call it. I did a lot of blogs this week that I think reached a lot of people. We had, you know, the one on Monday has done, you know, insanely well. It's reached a lot of people. I've got a lot of great feedback and I appreciate it. Uh, on Wednesday as well, it was, you know, a lot of autism awareness stuff. But the thing I want to talk about this week is something that relates to, you know, how I see the world dealing with my son, how I interact with the world, how my brain kind of works. And I want to talk this week about frustration because I think frustration is important for all of us, for our own mental health, for our own, you know, relationships with our kids and with ourselves. The thing about frustration is that most of life involves other people doing things so that we can continue our journey. So you might be the kind of person who is completely, you know, ready to work, ready to move forward and ready to do things with your life. And you sit there and we tell each other, and we lecture each other, get up on your feet, move forward, change, make changes. We tell ourselves to make changes all the time. I'm going to make changes. I'm going to be a better person. I got to make some real changes to be better. But you know what the problem is? It doesn't work like that because other people have to be on board for you to make changes. And I know what you're thinking. That's not true. You know, all you need is yourself. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It does matter what anybody else does because you can't really make too many changes to anything without other people. You want to change your interpersonal relationships? You can't do that without other people. 
You can't be like, I'm going to have a healthy relationship. And then you find somebody for a healthy relationship and then they're like, nah. And you're like, oh, all right, I can't. All right, I guess I can't do that. Okay, I'm going to find a solid career. And then you apply to jobs. Everyone's like, nah. And you're like, what are you doing? And at the end of the day, you end up so frustrated. Your kids, you want to help your kids. I'm going to teach my kids to be great. And my kid's going to learn this. And your kid's like, nah. And you're like, what is going on here? And what ends up happening is you get frustrated. And little by little, piece by piece, the world takes small chunks out of you. Until eventually you can't stand anymore. And it's like anything. It's like a Jenga tower. You know, you have this big tower and it's so strong and it's so perfect. And then you're like, take one little piece out and still standing, still trying to wobble it. And by the end, you know, it's barely standing up. It's barely holding on until that one final piece comes out and we all come tumbling down. And it's so easy for us all to come tumbling down. And there's definitely days that I have where I feel like I'm ready to crumble, you know, and it's hard because in today's world, you can't do that. You know, especially as an adult, when you were younger, oh my God, man, you could fall apart. I remember falling apart in my 20s, my teens. You could be a nut. Nobody cared. It was just part of who you were. You know, I was one of those kids. Like, there were crazy kids all over the place. If you're a crazy adult, oh man, you make headlines. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying they're not as in abundance as they were when we were younger. You got to hold your life together. People rely on you. People care about you. People want you to succeed. And people try to make you feel better about it. But I think in life, the one common thing that we all face, and at the end of the day, it's the common denominator of everything, is frustration. I think frustration is what stops people from moving forward. Frustration is what stops people from their own personal growth. Frustration is the thing that gets under your skin and makes you want to scream at the top of your lungs. And if you could figure out how to handle frustration, you could figure out how to you know, handle these things not going your way, I think you're okay. And for me, I don't know, man, the last year, I feel better about that. Don't not saying that I don't get frustrated. I'm not saying that things don't bother me when they don't go my way. But I'm saying that, I don't know, I feel like I'm aware that there's more around the corner because the best part about this, the best part about frustration is that if you have people in your life, whether it's professionally, personally, whatever, that are not working with you, for your own betterment, there's so many other people out there. It's the whole idea of, and we say about everything. You apply for a job, they don't give you the job. You go, hey, man, there's plenty of other things you could do. You try to you know, have a relationship with somebody, it doesn't work out. You go, hey, there's plenty of fish in the sea. There's always plenty of blank out there. You know, Whatever the thing is that you are running into a roadblock on, there's plenty of it out there. And sometimes it's hard to remember that. You get so fixated on what's in front of you. And I think a lot of times, even as a parent, it gets frustrating. That's why... For me, autism awareness was, was so important, the entire month, the entire idea behind it, because there is a frustration, I think, with other people out there of wanting them to understand who my family is, wanting them to understand who my son is, wanting them to understand how it affects our life. And to this day, sometimes I write these blogs and people will comment and not fully get what I'm saying. I wrote one a few weeks ago that really got me, that really bothered me where I was writing about my son. My son is nonverbal. My son has what a lot of people call severe autism. And I mean, let's put it out on the table. I'll tell you guys what I was doing. I was struggling because my son goes to a mainstream school. He's in a special needs program, but he's in a mainstream school. And I was struggling with whether or not he would have to go to a special needs school, right? And we really, even to this day, we're still debating and figuring it out, what's, what's coming next. We've got some time, but is that the right thing to do? And everything inside me said not to do it, you know, for years, don't do it. 
Don't put them in a special needs school. You don't take a kid out of a mainstream school. All these things I'm telling myself to do. And life is going on around me. And I'm watching him. And I'm watching him struggle with certain things. And I'm not sure whether or not he's struggling with it because there's not consistency in his life or whether or not he's struggling with it because he doesn't understand or whether he's struggling because it's a phase. I don't know what it is. All I know, all I know is my boy is struggling. And I love my son. And I don't want him to struggle. So I think to myself, what am I going to do? Like, what? How do I handle this? So I do what I do when I'm going through this. I write about it, you know? And I don't give all the, the deets, as they say, right? The deets, trying to be hip while I do this. Uh, you know, the details. I don't give the details of what it is to everybody. I just kind of talk about it, you know, choosing what's best for my, my child with autism. And it was the idea of, you know, pushing him forward and whether or not that's still good for him. And whether or not I'm really doing it for the right reasons, I feel like I'm pushing him forward for myself as opposed to him. And I write the piece and I put it out there and I'm proud of it. I'm like, all right, because I know what I'm trying to say. And I know what I'm struggling with. And I know what I'm dealing with. And what are the comments that come with it? What are the emails and things I get? Keep trying. Keep trying. Never give up. My nephew likes to swim. And I'm like, what do you? What the hell does this have to do with anything? And then I realize, oh, they don't understand it. So now I'm reading comments that don't relate to what I'm saying. That's frustrating. And then I try to explain it to one person. They get it. Oh, I didn't get what you meant. Okay, great. And then somebody else does it. I'm like, I'm not going to go through every single person who comments on this or writes to me about it and correct them. Like if they got whatever they got from it, they got from it. But that's frustrating. I think that's my most frustrating thing in the world. It's always been my biggest problem. And it's a roadblock that I run into sometimes. I'm going to tell you what I learned about it. I want to be understood. I did debate in high school. Not only did I do debate, I crushed it at debate. I loved debating. Debating to me was second to writing as my favorite thing in the world to do. And I'll tell you why. When you debate, you get to take an issue and write about it to the point where you explain where you stand on it. You explain you know, all your points on it. And you help someone else understand where you're coming from. And the best part about it is you understand the other person's argument. Because to me, that's the most important thing. If you argue with somebody, I want to know why you believe the things you believe. I want to know why you don't agree with me. What is it about your stance that makes sense to you? Because to me, it usually makes no sense. Somebody's arguing with you. We would do debates about, you know, they would try to make them boring so that they weren't too like politically charged. But we had stuff like, you know, uh, men and women can only truly be equal if you recognize their differences. That was one of the famous debates that we did. That was the one that I, I won everything with. I was really proud of that one. I won, a, won two different awards at that one in high school. Live off that for 30 years. And I, um, I love doing it because what you would do is you had to debate both sides throughout the day. You'd have to sit there and figure out your points. And then you would tear apart your own argument to understand your opponent's argument. You know, And to me, it was great. It taught me how to interact with people. It taught me how to argue. It taught me how to understand things. And to this day, when I talk to people about something that bothers me, that's what I do. I present my points. These are these are the reasons why. This, 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 and this. And I want to understand why you believe the things you do. This, 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 and this. But you know what? You know who doesn't do that? Like everybody. <laughs> and you get emotional people. You get people who get mad at you for it. You know? How could you, you know, what are you saying? You don't understand. I totally understand. You know, or they discount it or they start crying or screaming, whatever. And, and even like when it comes to work stuff, I won't tell you guys how many times in my life I've gotten calls for jobs for places that literally turned me down like three months earlier. You know, I've had that throughout life where you turn around and somebody's like, Hey, we'd like to interview you for a job. And I go through my email and I'm like, these people turn me down for a lesser job, like in August. And you're like, okay, let's, let's talk. 
you know? And it's frustrating. It's frustrating as you feel um, invisible in a way. You feel discounted and you feel, um, you know, overlooked. All those things are true. And you know what you can do about it? Ungats. You can do nothing about it. It just is. You just got to deal with it. And it's got to move on. And that, everybody, is frustration. And that's the frustration that I think a lot of us live with and a lot of us deal with, whether it's not being understood or it's not being able to advance or it's not being able to do things. And the secret to life is handling that. Because life is frustrating. It's always frustrating. Everybody has their own agenda. Most times those agendas are not going to link up with what you want to have done. Most times you're going to feel like you're failing. You're going to feel like you failed yourself. You're going to feel like you failed other people. You're going to feel like you failed the people that you love the most. I feel like I fail my kids all the time, even though I know I don't. In my heart, I know I don't. But in my head, sometimes I feel like I do. You know, If your kids are unhappy, if my son isn't reaching these milestones, if my daughter is, is moody and she's 13, going to be 14 years old, if she's moody, I think I did something wrong, even though, and then a little voice in my head's like, hey, dude, she's, she's like a, a teenage girl. She's going to be moody. It's not you. But a little thing in my head is like, it's totally you, bro. It's totally you doing it. So you deal with that. So if you can get that frustration out of the way, the frustration of your kids not being fully happy, the frustration of milestones being missed, the frustrations of professional aspirations not coming through, you know, frustrations of relationships not going the way you want. If you can get all those things together and you could understand where they're coming from, and handle that frustration in a way that's positive, then you're okay. And that is a secret to life. So write this down. Secret to life. You learned it here today. That's what it is. And for me, that's what I'm trying to do. And I got to tell you, I feel like I've definitely come a long way. A year ago, I used to have issues when I first moved here. You guys know I went through a divorce and moving into my new house and handling things and the fear and the anxiety and all these things that came about it. No matter how great my support system was, and I have I have and had a really great support system. Um, but as time goes on, you move, you learn, you live, you grow, you change. And I feel like today I'm I'm better with this. Not saying I don't get frustrated, not saying things don't knock me down, but you know, things really knocked me down a year ago. And it doesn't happen anymore. So I feel good about that. And I'm happy about that. And I'm proud of that. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today. So hopefully you hear this. Hopefully it helps you. Hopefully you're not misunderstanding what I'm saying. But if you do, don't write to me about it, please. Just don't. Let's just all be cool. We'll be little Fonzies. Can you be little Fonzies? And what's Fonzie, everybody? He's cool, right? So let's be cool. And that's it. So yeah, handle your frustration and you will feel better. Um, luckily this week, when I did the blog's I didn't have any of that frustration. I didn't have people misunderstanding what I meant. Uh, it actually went really well. This was some of the the best responses I've had to blogs in a while. Just, you know, one, two. I don't know how much of it has to do with Autism Awareness Month or week or whatever, you know, Autism Awareness stuff it is. Um, I got to tell you too, Autism Awareness sometimes frustrates me too because I get the point of Autism Awareness. I have a son. My son is nonverbal. My son has autism. And I know that even 10 years ago, and I was just talking about this the other day with someone in a similar situation, another parent, her child has autism, my friend Lauren, he has autism, he's you know minimally verbal. And we were talking about how even 10 years ago, because our kids are the same age, they're you know, 10, 11 years old. 10 years ago when he was a baby, I felt very paranoid about how people saw my son. We would go out and I would be ready to fight everybody. 
I mean, literally ready to fight. People who weren't even messing with me, I was ready to fight. I remember going to an aquarium in Boston. And we went to an aquarium and it was me. It was my then wife, my daughter, and my son. And Lucas was being bad. And I go out of my way to make sure he's all right. I don't want Lucas to be on display for people. So if he has a meltdown, I don't want to do that. I've been picking him up early from school every day because he's been having meltdowns at the transition. And it's not every day, but it could be any day. And I don't want people to watch him like he's you know, in a show. Still, he has little meltdowns in front of the kindergartners walking by. And that's a whole other you know, horse of a different color and it sucks. But um, I go out of my way not to let him be on display. I don't think that's fair to him and I don't want to do that. So we're going to this aquarium and on the way in, he's having this little meltdown. He doesn't want to go in. So we go in there and it's almost nobody else in this, uh, not in the aquarium, but the aquarium had a show, like a little movie show. I don't know how we ended up seeing the show. It just ended up being. And we're in this room. It's like a little movie theater and there's one other family in front of us. And Lucas is being fussy, a little fuss budget, as they say. And he's making his noises and says, eh, like that and getting upset or whatever. And I don't know what it was, but I kept watching the father and this other family. And in my head, I'm just like, say one goddamn thing, say one thing. And I'm waiting for this guy to look at us, to roll his eyes. And I'm just like, I'm just going to pound this guy and I'm going to go to jail in Boston for beating this guy up. And I'm ready for it, man. I'm like, I'm flashing back to the nineties at the, you know, the Wellwood docks and Lindenhurst wanting to fight everybody. Like, oh, come on, come on, come on. And he never did, man. He never turned around, never did anything. But in my head, I was ready for it. I didn't have a lot of stares. I had one time where people stared at us at a restaurant. I was losing my, my mind at the time. And I remember I knocked everything off the table. I go, you want to stare? Let me give you a view. And I knocked it all up. I'm like, come on, look at us. Look. And they were all like, oh, my God. And they looked at me like, this guy's crazy. I remember the people at the table with me were like, Whoa, what's going on here? And I'm going a little crazy today. But that was 10 years ago. And guess what? Today, it doesn't really happen anymore. Today, we go out. And even when he has these meltdowns, even when he has a rough time, people don't really give us a hard time. And I've written stories about it on the airplane, about you know people who weren't aware of autism asking me about it, talking to me about it. I wrote a story for Autism Speaks about that. And why is that? It's because of autism awareness. You don't want to admit it? Cool, don't admit it. You like autism acceptance? That's great. We're arguing over semantics. It's the same thing. Awareness, acceptance. The word's different. I know the words mean different things, but they're presented in the same way. Autism awareness is for people who don't know what autism is. To understand that it exists, to understand that it affects families differently, and then when it happens around them, when somebody reacts in a certain way around them that they don't understand, they don't stare at them. That's what it is. That's what autism awareness is. And guess what? I want that for my kid. Autism acceptance, kind of the same thing. In a lot of ways, it's the same thing. The only way it's not the same thing is if you really start divvying up the words and trying to figure out like where the differences are. But for the most part, they're the same thing. It's about accepting that these people exist in the world, accepting that there's people different than you, not just autism, but everything exists in the world, whether it's you know uh, Down syndrome or, or physical you know handicaps or all these different things that are around us, different races, different religions, different beliefs, different sexualities, different genders, all these different things exist. And if you can accept those things, you'll live a happier and fuller life. Awareness is for people to know exactly kind of the, some of the idiosyncrasies that come with autism. And I want people to know that. I want them to know that from my kid. And I don't get those stares anymore. I don't, I don't think I've had a stare from anybody in, you know, eight years, nine years. 
And I always try to chalk it up to me. I always try to pat myself on the back. I'm so proud of me. Look what I did, man. I tell people, people see me caring for my kid. So even if he's having a meltdown, they know that I'm taking care of it. I'm not one of these parents that lets him run amok. So I say that's the autism awareness. They see the father being involved. They see the father not letting his son, you know, steal stuff off their table or bother people or, you know, take things from kids. My son doesn't go up to other kids' tables and take food away from them and things like that anymore. And I worked really hard for that. And I tell myself, people see that and that's why they accept us and that's why they're aware of us and all this other stuff. But in reality, a lot of it also has to do with education. It has to do with them knowing you wear blue in April. You get a puzzle piece. And people get so annoyed. They're like, why do you have to wear blue? This is so silly. It's like, dude, they do it for everything. Breast cancer has got pink. And I, dude, I had a heart surgery. They wear red. I remember when I got my heart surgery, I went to the, the American Heart Association. I talked to them about working with them on stuff. And they were like, yeah, well, we do you know, little runs. And, and you, as a heart survivor, you get to wear a red hat. And I'm just like, I'm not going to wear a freaking red hat. But there, it exists. It's there. It's a color associated with the thing. There's ribbons and all that stuff. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's great. But it just it's part of everything. It's part of helping people. So I am happy with autism awareness. And I'm happy that the world is aware of my son to an extent. Is it perfect? No. And I wrote something about that for the mighty last week, the missing piece of autism awareness, how you could be aware of it, but you don't know specifically what autism is because you don't know my son and all these differences and things like that. It's important. So that's what this piece was. I, I wanted to do stuff for Autism Awareness Month. I wanted to talk about autism, and I did. And on Monday, I did my part to go from awareness to acceptance to all this other stuff, appreciation, which is a big part of it, autism appreciation, the great things about my son's personality that occur because of autism. But to me, the biggest missing piece, the one that I wrote for The Mighty, was about not understanding how autism affects different families. So on Monday, that's what I wrote about. And that ended up being one of the you know quickest... Um, rising blogs I've done. You know, as of now, it's got, you know, almost a thousand likes on Facebook and all this other stuff. It's been doing amazing. And I'm so proud of it. I don't usually do the lists. I'm not really a big listicle guy. I know people are into it. Um, I've done it for some of the sites that I've worked for. Uh, but people like it. They share it more. They, they look at it more. And this piece was about seven ways autism affects our family. And I wanted, and it was really important to me to mix it up a little bit. I wanted to not just be funny and not just be doom and gloom and sadness. So I did both, right? So I talked about some of the funny things that happened. I talk about, you know, things like his cups. My son has these cups that have straws built into them. They're spill-proof cups. And what he does is he leaves them all over the house, all over the house. So I wash them. We lose them. They're under the you know couch or whatever. And I actually wrote this blog right after they had left to go back to their mother's house. So I split time with their mother down the middle. And I was sitting there on the couch and I look over and there's just a cup sticking out of it. And I'm like, God damn it. Good old cup. So that was one of them, you know? So you do cute little things and the Rafi concerts and different things that he does until I get to the end and I start having the final two, which I thought were the important ones. And the big one that I had there was that I feel like, like I can never die. And this, this is the hardest one. And this is something that I don't write about often because I don't have a conclusion for you. And again, I talked to other parents about, I said before, I talked to my friend Lauren about you know, her son and people and autism awareness and things like that. And we've talked about this a lot, the fear of not being able to leave your kid behind and the fear of what's going to happen one day when I'm gone. I don't trust anybody the way I trust myself with my son. I know that I have his best interest at heart. And I know that even people who do have his best interest at heart don't care for him the way that I can because I'm, I'm me. 
you know, no matter what you think. And this isn't an insult to anybody else. This is about me. I love my son. And I put him and his sister above everybody. And I know that if I'm not here, even if other people might, he's going to lose one of his biggest supporters. And I also know that that's almost totally going to happen. You know, to not have that happen would be a worst case scenario. The worst case scenario would be that he goes before me. You don't want that. So probability wise, and what I'm hoping for is that I do die before him, but I don't want to, you know, and that's scary. And I don't write about it because I got nothing to say about it. And that's what I said in this, in this post, you know, I said, I don't have a bow to tie it up in. I don't have a conclusion to give you. And all I said was all I can say, I don't read the quote. All I can say is that it sucks and it eventually happens. If you're dealing with it, my heart goes out to you. I know how scary it is. That's it. That's all I got for you on it. But it was important to write this piece. It was important to share these things. And if you get a chance, please read it. Highblogomdad.com. I have, you know, seven different things. My family specifically, maybe it coincides with what you're going through. If you have a child with autism, if you have somebody in your family with autism, maybe it doesn't. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's really just something that's specific to each one of us. So for me, that was specific to our family. And that's something that I wanted to share. So I appreciate I was able to do that. And I have found no frustration in how that was received. And I like that. Sometimes you gotta put the list together. You gotta, you gotta make the headlines, you know, um, make sense, I guess you could say, which I've always found to be uh, something that I didn't want to do. And I ended up doing, I, as you guys know, I write, um, for a career. Like I write, I write, and I edit, I work. Right now I'm the managing editor of uh, onthestrip.com. If you want to check it out, it's a Las Vegas travel site. I edit work, I assign work, I put things up, I work on, I write things for them too. And one of the things that I know from doing this work and I've worked for other sites too is that it's important when you do headlines to make the headlines um, keyword friendly and, and be able to you know, put forth exactly what you're saying. And between me and you, I hate that. That's the worst part, I think, about the internet. When I first started writing these blogs, I love, you know, headlines and titles that are, I don't say poetic, but like, you know, not not just a description of what the thing is, but something that, you know, makes sense. Like I had one about, you know, early on there was, you know, about um, how autism affects our family. And I called it When It's Just Us. And I like that. I think it's a sweet little title. It makes sense. But it's not about to get picked up by, you know, Google discovery and it's not about to get, you know, organic traffic coming in because of it. I wrote one, you know, I mean, things like that. There was, there was one about my daughter years ago. I'm going through old blog posts, trying to find links and stuff. So I found, I found this one that was about uh, my daughter when she was little and she was playing baseball and she told me she got a hit and I'm like, Oh, that's great. She goes, it went all the way into the outfield. I'm like, great. And she's like, but I was out. I go, why were you out? And it's because she told me she ran to third base. (laughs) Like not, not around the bases two third, like straight to third. And I'm like, Oh, you got to run to first base. She's like, I didn't know. I thought it was to the left. Okay. She's a lefty. And, um, I called it, you know, running to third and I, and nobody, you know, you don't get it. So you can't really write like that. So that was kind of frustrating. That's one of the things I don't like, but I try to, to give the headlines that are relevant to the thing. So seven ways autism affects our family is a really big title to put out there and it did well. And that's why on Wednesday, I kind of did the same thing again. Uh, My child's autism diagnosis, colon, fear versus reality. This is a big one. This is something that was a theme early on in the blog, something that I've revisited over and over again. It was the idea of the fears that I had when my son first was diagnosed with autism versus what ended up coming true. And the diagnosis for my son was rough. We 
We were almost relieved when we found out. To an extent, I went back and forth. We went to a neurologist who told us, um, this is my, my favorite quote from an, an idiot with a, with a doctorate. He had said, uh, yeah, he's just a Johnny come lately. He'll, he'll start doing everything. And I remember my ex-wife told me this because I wasn't there at the meeting. I was like, you know, I'm like, first of all, I don't know if that's really true. But second of all, I don't know if I trust a neurologist who doesn't know that the term Johnny come lately doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean he's going to do it eventually. Johnny come lately means like somebody who just showed up late in the thing and tries to do something. Uh, and in the end, he never talked. He never you know, did these things that this guy said he was going to do anyway. So by the time we got him diagnosed, we were relieved. However, I also stood against it a lot. I remember at one point driving him to get his hearing checked, hoping that my son was deaf. Which is hard to say, and it's weird to say, because nobody does that. And I remember being in the car and thinking, this is it, man. We're going to go. And they're going to be, he can't hear you. That's why he's not talking. He can't hear words. And we went, and it was bizarre, because it was just me and him. And uh, they did the hearing test. I remember thinking, like, how the hell are they going to do a hearing test? My kid doesn't respond to a lot of stuff, especially early on when he was young. Autism really presented itself. Like, who he is today took a lot of work on both our parts to make him interactive and make him, you know, engaging and things. And I remember they sat him on my lap and they did these tests with him. And I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know if he was passing or whatever. And afterwards they came in and they were like, okay, Mr. Gutman, we're all done with the test. Okay, Lucas does not have any hearing loss. And what we found, they kept talking. And they said it in a way, like right off the bat, they said he didn't have any hearing loss. And then as soon as they said it, like, I guess I had hearing loss because I didn't hear anything anymore. Just kind of like everything went numb. And that's when the voice in my head was like, he's got autism, dude. Just accept it. He has autism. And I was scared of that because I didn't know what autism was. I knew what Dustin Hoffman did in Rain Man, right? I know all the shows on TV and like, you know, the guy with autism is like, he's a doctor and he's 12 and he goes to parties, but he doesn't really fit in. You know, they try to make him party, but he gets weird about it, all this stuff. And you start thinking, is that what he's going to be like? Is that what he's going to be like? But my son hugged me and he was loving. And I'm like, well, how is he hugging me if he has autism? I didn't understand anything. And my fear was the unknown. I didn't know what I wasn't going to know. And as the years went by and he grew and I grew and we came, you know, of age together, I started to learn how autism would affect our family like it did on Monday when I wrote about, but also what the reality was. And the reality was that he, you know, didn't talk. The reality was that he did walk and he learned to walk in, in a really good way. Like he's good. He's able to navigate things and doesn't fall down and bang into things like he used to when he was little and that took work, but we were able to do it loves me. He knows I'm his dad. One thing, and I didn't write about it on here, but I've talked about it before, is I always say to him, and I've been saying it to him literally since he was an infant, I would say, who does daddy love? And I would take his hands when he was tiny, and I would make him pat himself on the stomach, and I would, in a high-pitched voice, go, me, like that, and he would giggle. And we've done that for 11 years. And today, no matter what we're doing, I go, who does daddy love? And he double taps. And I'm like, yes, me. And I hug him and I squeeze him. And we giggle and we, we have a great relationship, which to me was the most important thing. It transcends everything, dude. Like if you, if you have a kid and you love your kid, it doesn't matter what your kid does. I know it sounds so weird to say it, but your kid doesn't have to talk. Your kid doesn't have to walk. Your kid doesn't have to look at you. Your kid doesn't have to do anything. As long as you do whatever you can to show your child that you love them, 
And even if your kid doesn't interact, even if your kid isn't, you know, going back and forth, there you know the signs of your child. You know, you can have a child who's completely nonverbal, completely, you know, deaf and whatever it is. You know when you get through, even in a little way. And if you could do that, that's what's most important. And we have days where, you know, I'm positive. I'm like, this kid gets it. He gets more than I realize. But even if he doesn't, as long as he knows that I love him, as long as he knows that the things that I'm doing with him are done because I have his best interest at heart, which I think he knows, even when he gets mad, he wants to have his iPad in the morning before school. I don't like to give him, you know, his, his not the communication iPad, but the fun iPad. I don't like to give it to him before school because it gets him all riled up. We go to school, it's harder to go, he gets mad. So I don't give it to him. He'll ask for it and I'll say no. And he gets frustrated. But I know that he knows because eventually he's like, and he goes in the other room and he watches TV or whatever and he sits down. There's no freak out moments. I found with my son, the only times he really would have meltdowns, besides from the, I don't know, whatever the sensory reason is that he has these meltdowns at pickup. Um, but everything else, when he has these certain meltdowns, were always because he didn't think he was being heard. I know that for a fact. Because what happened was when they introduced the communication device, he was able to ask me for things, for pizza or for food or whatever, and I'm able to show him that I get it. And I find that when he thinks you don't get him, when he tries to show you what he wants and you're just like, go away, you're like, you, know, you know what I mean, don't understand it, that's when he used to freak out. And I never do that. I try to understand him, even when, and this is the most important thing that we do, he'll come to me, right? And he'll want, let's say, the iPad. And I don't give him the iPad. And he comes in, he's asking for it, and he's doing the hand signals, which is you know his, his fingers, hitting the palm of his hand, something we made, we made up together. I don't even know if that's a symbol for iPad in the world, but I started as a swipe on my hand. He didn't really do that, so it just became you know, a closed, uh, no, an open hand, open right hand, all your fingers poking yourself in the middle of your left hand. That's the iPad symbol. And he'll come over and do that, and he'll want the iPad. And I will say no. I'll be like, no, iPad, Lucas, no. And I'll be like, and he's tapping me on the shoulder, doing it again, looking me in the face, like, hey, iPad. And I could see him getting frustrated. And if he thinks that I don't understand it or I'm just saying no to nothing, I go and I get his communication device. I go, what do you want? And he'll go, you know, iPad. And I'll go, no, buddy, you can't have it. And he'll get mad, but he'll accept it. And that to me is important for him to know that he's heard and that I hear him and that we're interacting as a father-son should. I'm not gonna give him every single thing he wants. I'm not gonna spoil him because eventually he's gonna be, you know, a big guy. He's already pretty big, but he's gonna be an adult. And I don't want him to get to that point where he thinks he could just like, bully his way into into what he wants and what he needs. But I also want him to know that I hear him and that what he asks for registers with me and that even if the rest of the world doesn't register his stuff, I do. I get him. That's important. And that's the fear versus the reality. The reality is that all these things that I didn't think were going to be possible were and this life that I didn't think was going to be possible was. And I'm happy. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for us. I'm happy for the family. Uh, and I'm happy for the life that we've created. So that was important to me. Autism awareness. Make people aware of it. Do yourself a favor. Go out there. You don't want to wear blue. Don't wear blue. You don't want to wear a puzzle piece. Don't wear a puzzle piece. But make sure people know what autism is, especially if it affects your family. Let them be aware of it. And uh, I don't know, spread the word. You know, Let everybody kind of uh, be aware of each other because you can't get to autism acceptance if they're not aware of it. So awareness, acceptance, and eventually appreciation. You can appreciate you know, people with autism the way I appreciate my son and the way autism makes him in many ways a very unique and beautiful human being. Love my kid. Love my kid. Uh, 
Yeah. All right. So that went on for a while. So <laughs> thank you for listening to all that, guys. Um, sometimes I just got to get it out. This is why I re-recorded this week. You know, I had done the other one. It was probably just as long, but this one feels better. This one feels right. So thank you uh, for listening to the opening. Now let's switch gears and let's feel old a little bit. Let's talk about the section that I like to do called, you want to feel old? Twenty-eight years. That makes me feel old. Twenty-eight years. And what am I talking about? I am talking about this past week, the twenty-eight year anniversary of the passing of Kurt Cobain. Kurt Donald Cobain. Uh I know all this because when I was younger, uh Kurt Cobain was a huge part of my life and a huge part of my pop culture influences. Um, I had so many Nirvana shirts. I actually have Today, here's a little weird fact. I had a shirt. I used to buy all these t-shirts at this store out in uh, West Babylon, right next to Lindenhurst, called Looney Tunes. That actually still exists. Here's a free plug. Looney Tunes used to have all the the bootleg, not just bootleg, but like these concert uh, CDs that were hard to get of Nirvana and all these different bands. They were like 25 bucks for these CDs at a time when they were like eight usually. And I got all of my Nirvana merchandise there. I had a shirt that had, you know, just Kurt Cobain's face on it with the, the date. I had one that had a picture of him as a kid with a date. I had all these different Nirvana shirts. I was super into Nirvana uh, and Kurt Cobain. I had one shirt. It's a black shirt. It was a concert shirt. I loved it. And it has, you know, it was black and it was like him. It was from the Unplugged concert. On the back, it had, you know, concert dates or whatever. I have it to this day, although it is really destroyed it's like you know there's holes in it and not just holes from like i mean just holes from being worn so often for the last you know 30 something years or whatever or having been worn and i went online and i was looking up nirvana shirts just to buy one i bought i actually bought a new one recently and i found the shirt and it's like 300 dollars. i guess it's like a, a rare shirt so i was really excited i think in my condition it's worth like 12 cents but still cool still crazy. And I still feel old because to me, in my head, you could just walk into a store and buy that shirt. Like, it's just like yesterday I did this, but I didn't do it yesterday. Um, Kurt Cobain died in the nineties, you know, 1994, which for anybody around my age, that feels like it just happened, you know, maybe not 94, but like 1998 feels like it was like, you know, maybe like 10 years ago. It's not 10 years ago. It's a long ass time ago. (laughs) drives you crazy. Um, I remember, man, I remember the day that he passed away and it wasn't like a big story. I just remember that it was after school. It was one of those days where like, you kind of like hang out after school and you're doing stuff. And I don't remember, I remember being in a car and hearing it on the radio. I remember Kurt Loder, Kurt Loder with MTV News. And he talked about it. Um, I remember the finality because I think Around that time, we would lose, you know, some some singers and stuff. I remember the guy from Blind Melon, Shannon Noon, died. Ahun uh, Noon. And I remember that happening after Kurt Cobain. And I remember being more appreciative of what that meant. Because when Kurt Cobain died, it didn't necessarily register. You kind of felt like, oh, that sucks, whatever. But you don't think about, oh, they're not going to do anything anymore. There's no more Nirvana. There's no more you know, new music. And, you know all the stuff that came out afterwards, all these old things that they found, notwithstanding, it was over. There was no more Nirvana. So that by the time Blind Melon had that happen, when their lead singer died, you're like, oh, I know what this means. Sublime 
you know, when Bradley died, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Kurt Cobain was a was a big influence. As I've grown up now and I've learned that, you know, he was bipolar one, like I was, and uh and I was into the conspiracies too. I know people are gonna be like, he got killed, he got murdered. I'll give you guys a little known fact. I think I talked about this once on the podcast, maybe not. Um, I've read a lot about the Kurt Cobain murder conspiracy with Courtney Love, and there's documentaries if you've never seen um it's called Soaked in Bleach, the one about, you know, Courtney Love. There's a documentary, Kurt and Courtney. I don't know Courtney Love. I don't really know what I feel about this. I, I've had conflicting views, so I don't want to accuse anybody of doing something terrible um, without 100%. I've always been like that. But I've read a lot about the conspiracy theories that it wasn't a suicide. And the guy behind, you know, this thing was a guy named Tom Grant. He was actually an investigator that Courtney hired uh, after his death to kind of prove that, you know, I don't know, proved it was a suicide. I don't know what she was doing. But what ended up happening was he ended up suspecting her and he wrote books about it and websites. And I was really into it. I read the books. I knew all this stuff. And here's your little known fact. Are you ready? Tom Grant was the first email I ever sent in my life. I was in South Carolina, my first semester, the University of South Carolina, Columbia, Gamecocks. And uh, I was in the computer lab because for those of you not from the 90s, that's what we used to do. You didn't really have computers. Not everybody had them. You would go to the computer lab and you would do computer work in the computer lab. And I emailed Tom Grant and I thanked him for things. I asked him some questions and he wrote back to me. And I always remember that. I was that was really cool. But it just gives you an idea of how into Nirvana I was. My early days of the internet, I remember this like it was yesterday. This is this makes me feel old. Maybe this you can add this to the making you feel old part. I would go into the computer lab. And I didn't get how things were. There's no Google yet. Google didn't come out until a couple of years later. It was like 95, 90, yeah, 95. And what I would do is I would go to Yahoo and I would go to Yahoo categories and I would go to bands and musicians and I would go through and I would just read all the bands by letter and then click on the ones that I wanted. And I would read about Nirvana and I read about different things. I, for pro wrestling, I used to go to wrestling and I would go to recsport.prowrestling, you know, I was, everything, message boards. It was so, so old school. Um, my original email was like some ridiculous thing at wrestlingfanswithaz.com. Like I really, it was just a different time period for the internet, different time period for this stuff using Netscape Navigator and all that. But um, yeah, when I wrote 28 years this week and I put it, I put it on my Instagram story. I was like, you know, 28 years. And I put, you know, the Come As You Are song, which means a huge amount to me. Um, and I remember doing the math on how long it was. And having to verify that with myself like three or four times, like 20, no, 28, wait, eight plus, okay, eight plus four is two, and then 20, oh my God, 28 years since Kurt Cobain died. So if you are as old as me or if you're from my time period, you know how insane that sounds. And the reason I know that you know how insane that sounds is I have gotten more messages on this Instagram story than I've gotten from any other Instagram story. People are like, oh my God, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. So, Kurt Cobain, uh, 28 years, craziness. And that made me feel old. Um, yeah. You guys want to do the moment of sanity? Do you want me to do a witty segue? I'm not going to. I'm not going to do a witty segue. I'm just going to send you over to it. Here it is. It's time for the moment of sanity. Hi, Pod. This is your moment of sanity. This is my moment of sanity. In the room with me is Lucas, who, now that I want him to, to make a sound, he's not going to say anything. Lucas, come here. Lucas, come here. Come here. 
Come here. I do so many of these audios without anybody in the room, and him especially. Yeah, say hi. Say something. Okay. All right. You can yell. You can go crazy, but go nuts. Do your thing. What I end up doing is I'm so used to doing these audios without Lucas around, without him here, because you could hear him literally screaming in the background usually 90% of the time. And I think I just figured out the trick of it all is to make him um, not make noise, is to ask him to make noise, and then he won't do it. But so much of my life has him in the background screaming and yelling. I don't know how good my microphone is, but I have him home. I purposely waited until he was here to do the moment of sanity so that you guys could hear him in the background don't know if it's going to get picked up. It might. What's really funny is that I don't think about it. It's not a part of it. And I had had a uh, freelance job that I had to do where I had to interview an executive for a story that I was writing for uh, one of the Canadian newspapers. As you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, hi, James Gutman, I share a lot of these stories that I write for Post Media, which does uh, stories in Canadian newspapers. And I have to do interviews with a lot of these executives. And I had him home with me and I wasn't thinking about it. To me, it was just, you know, um, my life, just doing an interview when I could do it. And when I went back and I listened to the interview, I could hear him in the background screaming, yelling excitedly. And I thought, oh, oh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. So I wanted to share it with you guys because I know I talk about it, but so often when I do record things, unless I absolutely have to, I try to do it either during the day when the kids are in school or when they're not here or maybe at night when they're sleeping in some sort of hushed silence. But for this one, I wanted him to be here. I wanted to... uh to include him, I wanted you guys to hear what he's doing. And what's really funny, too, is that he's usually all over my room. Whenever I'm doing these, uh, any work on my computer, he's here. See, he's coming back. He's coming back now. And he usually sits on the on the bed, and he hangs out. And I'm just like, shh, buddy, quiet down, quiet down. And now the first time I want him to be here, where are you going now? Hey, come back. Come. Hang out, man. What are you doing? I want you to hang out. You listen to Abby? Hey, can you say something? Say hi. I know, I see. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, can you say something? And he'll just tap his chest like, me? I'm like, yeah, you. And then he walks away. Uh, but yeah, that's life, man. I think any parent who has a child like mine, you guys know what I'm talking about. The background noise of your life, the elevator music of our life. I talked about it in the blog post this week, but it's pretty much how it goes. I love it. I mean, honestly, there's definitely times, don't get me wrong, where we'll be watching TV and I'm just like, holy crap, I can't take this. Um, Well, he'll be watching it, and he'll be playing on his iPad, and he'll yell, and he'll clap a little bit. But then what happens is he gets more into it, and he ramps up. And as he ramps up, pretty soon, he is like full bore, screaming with excitement. And I got to be like, yo, buddy, hey, hey, hey. He's up a little bit. He'll look at me with his face like, what? (laughs) Like this little offended face. Uh, And he'll quiet down. And what's funny is even even his sister, Ben Olivia, I'll, I'll turn to her, and I'll... I'll be like, is this bothering you that he's making it? She's like, no, it's fine. Leave Lucas here. I'm like, okay. And then we're watching TV and he's screaming and I'm not hearing the show. And I turn to her, I'm like, can you even hear the show? And she's like, no. And I'm like, were you going to say something? Are we going to rewind it? Uh, we watched, uh, you know, Smallville and things like that. But I think the joy of having him around is worth kind of the trade off of having him, you know, screaming and yelling. Uh, and all the time that really he's been around, the only times where he's really not yelling and screaming with excitement about things is either if he's not doing anything, if we're in the car and he's looking out the window and relaxing, or the saddest thing, a few weeks ago he was sick. And I'm like, this kid is definitely sick because he just kind of sat there and spaced out and there was silence. That's my life, man. It's just a lot of yelling in the background, something I've become used to, something that, strangely enough, when he's not here, ugh, I miss it. It's like just a part of of who I am. So I wanted to share that with you. I don't know if you guys could hear 
can hear it in the background, but it's definitely back there. Uh, he's into it. He's playing his computer. He's enjoying life, and we are having a good day, and hopefully you are too. That does it for me. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. I appreciate it. Letting me vent, letting me get things out, talking about frustrated, incorporated, uh, talking about autism awareness, all sorts of great stuff. Till next time, <laughs> this is James Gutman saying, be well. Bye, pot. I'm dead.